0: Hello and welcome back to Koala Moon, your podcast of original children's bedtime stories and meditations designed ah, to make bedtime a dream. I can't wait to start tonight's story. But before I do, I must give a huge shout out of thanks to our lovely Coco Clubbers who've joined us from all over the world recently. Thank you, Dorothy Bell from Austin, Texas. Emmy from Gloucestershire, that's the UK. Alex, Harper and Margot from Cambridge, Massachusetts, who chant Coco when it's time to put the pod on, and Julia and Cypress from Elgin, Illinois. Before we begin, a quick message for the grown-ups. If you'd like to support our podcast, enjoy ad-free listening, unlock four bonus stories per month, and much, much more, you can join Coco Club. Subscribe in just two taps via the link in the show notes. For now, here's a quick word from our sponsors. Now, do you remember the story about Frida and the magical paintosaurus suggested by a listener a few months back? Well, tonight I'm delighted to say that we're meeting up with Frida and her Paintersaurus again because she is challenged by a teacher to travel back through time in search of some inspiration. Inspiration. It can be a tough thing to find on demand. And especially if you look too hard. Sometimes you just need to stop and notice what's right in front of you. See the light bouncing off a water droplet or feel the texture of a back of a leaf. Or listen for all the different sounds around you. Inspiration can also come from others and how they choose to show up in the world can be inspiring. Well... Our little Frida soon finds some inspiration in the shape of another artist, also named Frida. And for the record, I find her paintings in use of colour very inspiring too. Soon we're going to get started on this arty adventure of discovery. But first jump into bed and get yourself ready for relaxing and listening. Make your body loose and limp, supported fully by your mattress. And then close your eyes gently, as we take five lovely breaths together, in and out. 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 out. Perfect. It's time to start... When Frida Met Frida by Jane Thomas Frida, the little girl who lived near the village of Lost and attended the School of Magic, had become infinitely happier since a toad had passed her a magic paintbrush last summer. Almost daily, Frida found excuses to paint a picture of her pure white pony Bella and transform her into a green-tailed, red-spiked, blue-footed, pink-dotted paintosaurus who could fly anywhere Frida fancied. Frida's mother had to step in sometimes and ask Frida to put down the paintbrush. It's very easy to become lazy, you see, when all you need to do is paint a picture of something and there it is, right in front of your eyes. Instead of cycling the hour towards Lost and its teeny tiny shots to pick up flour or eggs or tomatoes, or whatever it was her mother was missing that day, Frida had taken to painting it instead. And instead of plodding along the lanes on Bella, spending time chatting with the spiders and butterflies that hung out in the hedgerows, Frida would create the Paintersaurus and fly to school in a fraction of the time. She had started leaving homework until quite literally the last second and would rather paint a picture of her bed neatly made than actually stand up and shake the blankets and plump the pillows and put them back in their rightful spots. Frida's mother wasn't particularly keen on this laziness the paintbrush was creating in her daughter and she officially banned its use except for very important things. The fact is, these very important things sometimes included a mountain of carefully ironed washing, or a late night snack when going all the way to the shop was out of the question. But Frida did at least cut down her use of the magic paintbrush. One day, Frida's teacher, Miss Pennyfeather, invited Frida's mother to the school for a chat. Is it about Frida's paintbrush? Her mother sighed down the phone. Miss Pennyfeather admitted it was, and it was with some reluctance that Frida's mother went to the meeting. She had become quite used to the convenience of the paintbrush in her life after all. I think Frida needs to do something new with her paintbrush, explained Miss Pennyfeather. The Paintersaurus is, of course, wonderful. The new playground she's created for the school is simply marvellous and I very much appreciate these gorgeous shoes she made for me the other day. Miss Pennyfeather crossed her legs and looked pointedly at the bright red and blue shoes that fitted her feet absolutely perfectly. They had a very satisfying click as she walked along the corridors too. Oh, yes, lovely shoes, said Frida's mother still wondering where this conversation was going, but rather glad it hadn't started with the idea that the paintbrush must be banished altogether. It's all very well-creating things, but she's sort of limited by her imagination. Do you see what I mean? Frida's mother didn't. She'd always thought Frida had an alarmingly good imagination. Too much of an imagination, even. I just think she could use the paintbrush to learn from others, that's all. I wonder, do you think she could use it to go back in time? Miss Pennyfeather left the question floating in the air. The second hand ticked loudly in the background. Frida's mother finally broke the silence. Why on earth should she go back in time? even if she could, which I very much doubt. Oh, I just think we can learn a lot from the past, from the people who have lived before. And wouldn't it be amazing if Frida could go and meet somebody? Frida's mother wasn't quite sure what Miss Pennyfeather meant, but she promised to have a chat with Frida. So that evening, as she sat on the edge of Frida's bed, waiting while Frida quickly painted into life a hot water bottle, that she'd forgotten to bring up from the kitchen, she asked who, if anyone, Frida might like to meet if she could go back in time. Frida had never really been interested in history, if truth be told, and she rushed around in her mind trying to remember any names at all that they'd learned in school. But all she could remember were the names of people who had started wars and that sort of thing, and she wasn't really interested in meeting anyone as unpleasant as that about the other frida she said at last the other frida yeah the one you named me after you said years ago that you'd named me after some lady called frida an artist she lived in mexico frida's mother clapped her hands an excellent idea yes of course frida carlo i have a postcard somewhere Let me just- Her mother shot out of the room and down to her study, rummaging through piles of paper in her desk, before emerging triumphantly with the correct one. Here, a self-portrait by Frida Kahlo. Frida looked at the other Frida. The lady looked serious, with dark eyes looking out over high cheekbones and bright red lips. She had dark hair piled on top of her head and filled with colorful flowers. But perhaps the most striking feature, at least the one Frida was sure she wouldn't forget, was a thick pair of black eyebrows that marched across her forehead and met in the middle. She looked strong, as if nobody could tell her what to do. Frida liked that. Do you think that's really what she looked like? Frida asked her mother. Well, why don't you use that paintbrush of yours to find out? Frida fell asleep with the rather wonderful thought of being under the Mexican sun flowing through her mind. And the next morning, she set about the task of working out how she could go back in time with her paintbrush. While she was working out just what it was she'd have to paint, her father poked his head around the door. Of course, you know, my dear, he said. If you do go back in time, you won't be able to talk to anyone. You can only watch. It was his great-grandmother who had done the terribly magic thing in the era of forever ago that had meant Frida could go to the school of magic in the first place. So if anyone in the family were to know about such things, then it would be him. Why? asked Frida. Because you can't change a single thing, he said. Just imagine how much would be changed by one little thing being different. Take the evening I met your mother, for instance. If one other person had been in that dance hall, Perhaps I would have talked to them instead and never had a chance to meet your mother. Or perhaps if the food had been terrible, I'd have left early. Or if somebody had left a banana skin on the floor, I might have skidded while dancing with her and she might have thought me a complete embarrassment and left. And if any of those things had happened, perhaps we would never have had another chance to meet. And then you wouldn't be here, would you? When Frida stopped giggling at the idea of her father flying across the room on a banana skin, she saw that he was right. Teeny tiny moments can change everything. Of course you couldn't change anything in the past. It was obvious, really, if you thought about it. What wasn't so obvious? was how she would get back to Mexico in the 1930s. It also wasn't obvious how time worked in the past. If she stayed and looked at everything that happened in her lifetime, would she be terribly old when she came back to the present day? Could she even come back to the same day? Every time she flew on her Paintasaurus, time passed exactly the same way. She headed to the school library and went straight to the time travel section. She stuck a boiled sweet in her mouth and sucked away at it while she read, occasionally saying Uh uh-huh, or aha uh-huh, or ooh, as she went. She didn't see the glances and glares from the librarian each time she made a noise, as she was so wrapped up in the books. It turned out it was all very simple, really. She would combine the techniques and spells required for wands, toothbrushes and matchsticks to go back into the past, since these were the closest things she could find to a magic paintbrush. And hopefully, it would all work out. She could travel on the Paintosaurus in a special fast flight mode and paint in the dates and places she wanted to visit. She could also, it turned out, take her paintbrush with her and add new dates and places as she found out about them. And the whole thing could be done in a special magic mode with time. So if she painted the picture and set off just before bed, then she would end up back in her bed in a deep sleep before the next day started. That was perfect. And so it was. Frida and the Paintersaurus found themselves heading to a little town in Mexico in 1929. In fact, they went right into the room where the other Frida was painting. Carlo sat in bed, propped up by pillows and surrounded by vases overflowing with flowers, and by her side was another woman sitting perfectly still. Frida walked over to peer at the painting Carlo was creating and saw that it was this woman. They talked about geography and history teachers and laughed as they exchanged memories and Frida saw they were once school friends. Frida looked at Carlo and compared her with the postcard her mother had shown her. She was even more beautiful, so delicate her face pale against the jet black hair. Frida wondered how you could look so strong and gentle all at the same time. The red shawl around her shoulders was the right colour for her, Frida thought, because it seemed to be her character too. Red was for love and power and strength and beauty. And Carlo was all of those things wrapped up in this delicate frame sitting in a bed. Do you ever wish you'd become a doctor? Frida heard the friend on the chair asked. Carlo shrugged. The accident was the world's way of telling me I needed to paint, I suppose. Frida thought of her father's words to her. How such simple moments can change everything. If Carlo hadn't had this accident, whatever it was and whenever it was, perhaps she would never have painted, and the world would never have known her. She climbed aboard the Paintersaurus and was suddenly whisked to a gallery in New York. The year was 1938, and bare trees outside told Frida it was winter. The paintings were all Carlo's. By now, Frida could recognize that unmistakable style with bright splashes of color and the calm, serious faces of her friends, her sisters, herself. Carlo walked into the room wearing beautifully created, traditional Mexican clothes. The colors were bold and bright against the drab grays and browns and sensible blues that everyone else in the room wore. Carlo's clothes were the colours of hummingbirds and parrots, of tropical flowers and the brightest winding vines. Gold and silver threads danced across the long flowing skirts. A scarf that was a vivid pink hung loosely around Carlo's neck, a pink so sharp and clear and matching perfectly the same bold pink spots that Frida painted carefully onto her Paintersaurus each time. Noticing that, Frida looked at the green she had chosen for the Paintersaurus's tail and saw that it was the same as on Carlo's dress, the bright, bright green of a rice paddy after the rain. The blue she used for the feet was the same blue on the skirts. A color that blended the seas and skies with feathers of parrots. The red of the paintosaurus spikes was there too, on Carlo's lips that were painted to perfection and poured out generous smiles and laughter. A man in a suit kept dashing towards the paintings and putting little red dots underneath them. As Frida watched, she learned that this meant someone had bought the picture. And before the day was done, as the final visitor left the gallery, as Carlo sat into a chair in the corner, half the paintings had little red dots beneath them. The Paintersaurus and Frida were suddenly on board a boat, heading into a grey harbour, and everyone around them spoke French a newspaper showed it was January 1939 and Frida bounced rapidly through three months in France. There was to be an exhibition, and then there wasn't, and then paintings didn't arrive, and then they weren't allowed to be shown because their brightness and colours and the images might, it was said, shock the audience. And so in the end... When the day of the gallery opening finally came, there were only two paintings of Carlo's to be found there. Carlo looked angry, waving her hand at the cheap, painted pieces of wood and trinkets that had been brought from Mexican markets and were displayed alongside her work. At the end of the day, one of the pieces had a little red dot beneath it. The painting was a self-portrait. Carlo wearing a mass of yellow flowers in her hair this time, and the image surrounded by bright pink and red flowers. Front and centre stood two parrots, looking towards each other. Before Frida had a chance to take it all in, before she could see anything of Paris beyond the gallery in which she stood, she and the Paintersaurus were suddenly back in Mexico, and it was 1953. Once more, she stood in a gallery, and this time it was filled with Carlo's unmistakable paintings. Many showed tree roots coming from the feet of people, and Frida listened as two visitors discussed this. The roots show, said the first, that Carlo is connected to Mexico, that it's in her blood. In everything she does. Ah, but the roots also show, said the second, that Carlo is tied to the past and you cannot escape it. Frida looked at the pictures and saw both sides. In everything Carlo did, Mexico was there. In the colors, and the monkeys, and the parrots. And the leaves that decorated the backgrounds and the edges of her paintings. Her friends and family appeared in the portraits. And as she had this thought, she turned as she heard a commotion on the far side of the gallery. Frida was being wheeled in on a bed, pushed up a slope to be allowed into the gallery. And there Carlo stayed, greeting her friends and admirers, chatting and laughing and sharing her thoughts and ideas and hopes for her paintings. The red dots appeared beneath the paintings, more and more of them being bought by those who wanted this much love and life in their homes. The painter Saurus and Frida were whisked away to fly high above a square in the heart of Mexico in July of 1954. Carlo was there, along with her husband. Carlo was in her wheelchair, but she was there, demonstrating for the freedom of Mexico. The Mexico she loved with every stroke of her brush, with all the colours she poured into her paintings, with all the symbols she shared. Carlo stood with her bright red dress and her piled high black hair as fierce and beautiful as ever. Frida wondered what it must be like to believe in something with everything you have. She wondered how it must feel to paint as if your life and that of your country depended on it. She found herself briefly flying through a gallery somewhere in London in 1982, surrounded by Carlo's paintings in a room packed with people praising Carlo and talking of her as a genius, a unique, one-of-a-kind, a a a once-in-a-lifetime. The gallery was far busier than the ones Frida had seen in New York and Paris and Mexico, and this time there were no red dots but instead someone stood at the front of the room and talked about the paintings and people shouted out bigger and bigger numbers and held up little paddles and fought with each other to have the right to own one of these brightly coloured pictures filled with flowers and doves and monkeys and magic. Millions. The numbers went up into the millions and then... Frida was whisked through the years and suddenly she was back in her bed, and the paintosaurus had once more become Bella, and the paintbrush took up its rightful place in the pot on the desk. Frida stirred a little in her sleep, shifting from one dream to another, and snuggled down deeper beneath the warm blankets. She mumbled to herself that next time she painted Bella and turned her into the Paintosaurus, she would add a mass of coloured flowers to the little pony's hair, just the way Carlo did in her paintings. That night, her dreams were filled with the sights and colours and music of Mexico, with the laughter. And the smiles of friends and family thronging in galleries, decorated with beautiful paintings. And with the soft, firm smile of Frida Kahlo looking out at the world with strength and beauty and love.